Hi and welcome to this week's Respect Words. This week we're looking at asylum seekers and direct provision. And firstly, we're going to an interview with Sally Galliana and Lucky Kambuli from Massey, which is the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. My name is Lucky Kambule uh, from a group called Massey, which is the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. Lucky, could you tell us a little bit about Massey, how it came to right. to be, please? Oh, yes. Uh, Massey actually is a group that was formed by uh, the asylum seekers themselves. It is. Uh, it was formed in 2014, in, uh, actually in October. We are three years full now. And uh, it was uh, in response uh, with the... Uh, problems within the direct provision, which we felt as asylum seekers, the problems were not really uh, correctly uh, articulated as we were not really uh, fully uh, represented. We felt that it's important that we could represent ourselves in telling our own stories. So that's why we formed that group, so that it is a platform for each and every person who is in the asylum process to be able to freely uh, express his or her uh, experiences while living in direct provision here in Ireland. So uh, basically there were those uh, reasons why it was formed and uh, in, ter- in, in, in order also to address issues like uh, the right to work, uh, the right to privacy, the conditions, the living conditions in direct provision in these centers. So it is a platform, actually, that uh, I would say uh, it was uh, formed in that spirit, and uh, we, we have grown from strength to strength in, uh, in, the, in, in our ability to continue to do that, to continue to challenge the states on issues that are uh, oppressive to, to the uh, asylum seekers themselves. Direct provision here in Ireland is a system whereby if you came as an asylum seeker and you seek asylum, you once your application has been accepted in terms of uh, you being an asylum seeker, so while you are waiting for your application to be processed, you are then placed in centers, which is called, a system is called direct provision which then means that you are housed in a hostel and you are given food and and a bed and you are then given an allowance of 1910, actually it's it's 2160 now per week and uh, you don't have the right to work, you don't have the right to to proper access to third level education. So it is, you have to be in that center 24 hours and you have to, to present yourself as as using that bed, because if you don't do that, there are rules which is called house rules, which everyone that lives there must adhere to. And uh, it, even though there is a movement within within the country or within the city, but at the end of the day, you have to be using your bed every every, every night. So that's what it's called direct provision. It has been uh, in in existence since year 2000. Uh, it's been 17 years now since it has uh, been existent. And uh, one of the things also that we, we always uh, uh, cry about or, or complain about is the length of time, which is not really predictable, 
it could uh, in, 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 in years back it could take five, seven, up to ten years while you are you are in that situation having no nothing to do whatsoever. And these centers as well are situated in places where there are remote places. There's isolation. There's uh, there's lack of activity that that. Uh, People face uh, find themselves facing throughout uh, their stay in these centres, which also uh, talk to the mental health uh, because of lack of those activities. One of the main things that Masi has been doing is actually, uh, in some ways, leading that a campaign against direct provision. So, would you tell us a little bit how you run the campaign and how do you feel about the the achievements of this campaign now? Okay, uh, how we run the campaign, uh, actually, it's, uh, as I said earlier, that uh, the important thing was to, to, make, to, make, uh, to take the, make the asylum seekers themselves lead these campaigns and uh, to, 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 to make sure that people articulate what they are experiencing on a day-to-day basis in their own words whether it's through a, a street campaign, online campaign, or, or any other way. So it, it, it has been a continuous kind of a, a, a way that we continue to, to reach out, we continue to go to, to, to schools, we go, we go to, to, to places where people who didn't have heard about direct provision before. And we go and, and, and speak about it and raise the awareness. Our campaign is just on the raising of the awareness and let people know what we are going through as we stay in these centers. Because the, the perception has been all the time that people in direct provision are, are well taken care of, people must not worry about, because they've got food, they've got the roof over their, over their heads. But what we are saying is that Life is not all about food and, and, and the roof over your head. It's about living. It's about living a proper life. It's about waking up and knowing what you're going to do tomorrow. You know, being caged for many, many years, it's not life. You can be provided food, but your, your mind, your brain is really affected by the way that we are being uh, mistreated. Hence, a lot of reports and uh, uh, people would say it's inhumane. And uh, we feel that. We feel the way that we are treated. Imagine when every day you have to present yourself as present, you know, for, for the rest of your stay in that, in that place. And one, also, you don't have a choice as to where you're going to live. And uh, sometimes there's not even adequate transport from your center to wherever that you have to go, uh, if you have an appointment with the, with the doctors, the social welfare officers will always question that, you know, giving stress, adding stress over stress of the lives that we live. Yes, recently in May, it, it was a welcome decision that we felt when the Supreme Court ruled that the complete ban on the right to work in Ireland was unconstitutional, right? And then with the allowance of six months to legislate, 
this right to work. It's something that we are waiting eagerly as to what is it that's going to happen. But we feel also as masses that it is important that we don't just we, do, we don't just wait. We create the awareness about that and lobby other groups and lobby the unions to be behind us to call for the right to work for all asylum seekers because it's important. We, we are of the belief that it's important that an early right to work to asylum seekers will benefit the country more than it does now. So that is a campaign that we continuously carrying through to, to, to say in our own words that let the people be given the right to work as early as possible or even access because there's a difference between access or the being allowed to seek employment and being employed. So if you are allowed early to seek employment, so there will be an improvement, skills gap, which can be, you know, brought into place to, to make sure that a person uh, is developed enough to be able to get to, uh, to employment. One important part of any campaign, and I suppose of the campaign against the improvision, but also of this campaign about the employment, housing, education, rights, etc., etc., is access to mm. media. Do you find yes. that since uh, Massey was created, there have been a change in the way that media will cover uh, migration issues in Ireland, and particularly the situation of uh, refugees and asylum seekers in this country? I would say, because if I look four years back, right, before before we started the campaign, even the media really didn't really take uh, take note of what is happening because they they didn't know what was happening. Whenever I speak to a media person, I remember when I was in Cork, for instance, it's only when we did our campaign, only when we did the protest that we did there, where we opened the, 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 the doors, of the center of our center to the media for the media to have a feel of what is it in direct provision only then things started to change with the media really reporting as to what was really happening because they were they were they were just reporting on perceptions of what things look like you know and now the reality the more we talk the more reality is out there to the people the consciousness is risen you know people now are very cautious about conscious about what is happening in the indirect provision so the the tune actually is, is gradually changing in in terms of of coverage you would even hear a, a, a radio show dedicated for for direct provision for, for 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 a number of days you know with the the media actually starting to empathize with what is happening within direct provision because of the awareness that we have created and the understanding of what life is actually there. So now they have got the real facts and people look and research and look deep into what is actually happening without listening on the one side of the story because they were always reporting uh, from the government side of it, because the government would want to see it as rosy as possible. But we are saying from our side, from our practical experience, this is what is happening. That's what changed the perception of, of the media. It's still not there yet, but there is a, 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 a green light towards the actual reporting of what's happening there. That was Lucky Kambule there from Massey speaking about direct provision with Sally Galliana.
And I'm just going to quote here from a former Irish judge, Dr Brian McMahon, who chaired the first Irish uh, official Irish government inquiry into direct provision. And this was how he described it. He said, people caught up in the direct provision system are being denied hope by the state and forced to live in a system which is worse than prison. He said anyone forced to live in a system that denied them the right to work or study and determined almost every aspect of their life without any indication as to when their circumstances might change would go mad. Some of them had said to him, I would prefer to be in jail because I would have a definite sentence and I would know when I was getting out. It just sounds horrendous. I wouldn't have thought that direct provision was so bad for asylum seekers coming to this country. I'm now joined by an asylum seeker himself. He's been here in direct provision in various centres in Ireland. Um, So hi, we're going to have to call him Mr X. So hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thank you for for joining. Not at all, thank you for coming today. So I'd like you to tell me first how you came to be here. Why why you came seeking asylum here and how long you've been here? Um, I've been in, in Ireland now for four years. I suffered a lot of uh, persecution from my country of origin um, and uh, as probably you may see from the top of my head I have all those scars. I suffered a broken arm and then it became at a point where I couldn't live there anymore and I decided to flee. So when you come here uh, and when you uh, avail yourself to the Office of the International Protection as they call it these days, but then we used to call it ORAC, you are normally uh, given um, a questionnaire where you are supposed to explain everything that has happened to you, all the reasons how you have traveled and everything else. And then you are provided a place to live. And for me, I started uh, with Mosne. I was sent to Mosne for the first time. I lived in Mosne for uh, quite a few months. Now, just saying that you lived in Mosne, um, I mean, I know people who would have thought I went to Mosney as a child um, and we think of it as a lovely, um, you know, it was a holiday camp and I couldn't believe the how run down it had got and, you know, that it wasn't the lovely place. I mean, I believe they even emptied the swimming pool. Um, so for people there in asylum it's it's not the nice place that people here in Ireland would probably imagine when you say you were put to Mosny. Tell us about that place. Yeah, um, uh, my first uh, impression of the place when I was I just go, got there uh, was probably of surprise because uh, if you look at it, how well laid out the grounds are and the buildings and when he, I hear you saying it used to be a nice place, a holiday camp, um, it, you really see to say, oh yeah, it's because the place got run down and um, um, many of the buildings look really old. And then he, some they have been renovated. 
they are the ones that are being used as in uh, the uh, uh, residences for these people people live in those rooms um but there are still structures that you can clearly see that they are still in that sorry state uh, they have been run down and they are not usable they are not used uh, the time where i went there um, you know, Mosne has been turned now into a family place. Uh, it's a big place. It's a big campus, as you know it. But for singles, <coughs> we were being placed in uh, three or four people in a room. It would be a very small room. Um, and unfortunately for me, in my time there, uh, as a person, basically, I have... Um, a health problem i suffer from sinuses and um, um my roommates three of them were smokers and um, uh, during the winter time um they they wouldn't want to go and smoke outside mm. sometimes they smoked inside and, and then the environment wasn't very good for me mm. and then i suffered a lot for close to a month i was just coughing sneezing and all so there is a clinic at mosne and we would go to the clinic and they gave me all the medicine the sprays the medicine but the situation wasn't improving because it was like i'm taking the medicine but i'm still living in the same environment mm. so uh, the gp had recommended that i be changed into a non-smoking uh, room where probably i'm sharing a room with non-smokers um, and that didn't happen for some weeks and when he, my health situation was getting a little worse and the GP kind of didn't wasn't happy particularly happy with it and while I was sitting in his office and he called the manager and he probably spoke to the manager in a, a very strong terms to say like I, I can't continue to give this man medicine uh, I can give him all the kind of medicine he would talk about in the world mm -hmm. But he, his situation won't improve until he's changed in, in the room. And I think that talk didn't all, all go well with the, the manager. So when I, I was told to go and meet him so that he can arrange a new, another room for me, he had a go at me to say, why did I have to go to run to the GP to complain about all this kind of stuff? So, uh, and probably I was also a little frustrated myself. And I reacted to that to say, I'm the victim here. Why are you really blaming me for yeah, yeah, I'm sick, I've been sick. And you know the problem you were told mm -hmm. and you didn't take action. What I was I supposed to do? Mm. All right. But you see, after that, the next thing I was transferred to um, uh, a hostel in Limerick, which is in the Foynes village. It's called Mount Trenchard, but it is in, nicknamed Guantanamo. Wow. because it is known around the system uh, the asylum system that it, uh, when you have any problems from any other hostel you would be sent to that particular hostel uh, as a punishment right because life there it is very hor horrible and uh, just as uh, you may have heard maybe from other people to say most of the centers that are in these other places will be excluded. Uh, they will be a little far away from uh, all the other houses. Like, yes. Yeah. So like the so-called Guantanamo is three, uh, three miles from the nearest village in the middle of nowhere. 
uh, in these centers, the way people live, you have two extremes. You meet some people that are very nice, mm. all right? They understand mm. with empathy and they to the situation. Are these the people now they, working in the centers? Yes, these mm. are the members of staff. They mm. are part of the management and all that kind mm. of stuff. Now, there have been a lot of campaigns, as you may have heard, the people saying uh, they should end the direct provision. It's mm. because it is kind of a very dehumanizing kind of... Well, yes, I, I'm listening to what Lucky had said with people going in, I mean, like as young as, you know, children as young as three or four, if they're to be there in these direct provision housing or centres for five, seven, ten years, their whole childhood is taking living here in this limbo where, you know, they can't really be a child. Okay, they could probably go to school. They're the only ones they can go to school. But um, they, they're they not living. And as, as they said about the mental health situation, how, how have you seen that? You know, I'm sure you've come across problems in that regard. Yeah, the mental health is huge in mm. the direct provision. I'll give you the example of that hostel I'm saying, the Guantanamo hostel. Um, we had um, probably about four people that these people to the point that I myself I had to ask the manager to say is there anything that can be done to these people mm. you see a man would wake up come in the dining for a meal but you want it you just pile up the food you have one table piling up food for the his breakfast his lunch his dinner just piling it up there all right and you wouldn't be talking to anybody nothing all right and then we had another one man i think from eastern europe who uh, was so mentally disturbed to the point that he would go walk that distance I've been talking about, about uh, three miles to hmm. the nearest village. And sometimes you would just stand in the middle of the road and start dozing there, kind of sleeping, like something. And uh, uh, the traffic would be, the cars would be stopped by hooting. The ones that hmm. didn't know about it, they would hoot. Others would just call Gadi to come and pick him up. And Gadi would just come. And, and these were people who came to this country perfectly compassmentous, perfectly fine, and from living in these centres, is that what you're saying, that they have now, they're just totally soul-destroyed, that this is, this is what's happened to them? Definitely, because I'll give, as I'm giving my personal account here, mm. the way I was treated in Mosley and get moved to that place, Mm. I became so frustrated and disappointed and everything else because that place is, is more or less a prison, mm. right? Now, I'm someone who has been a professional from wherever I'm coming from. Mm. Yes, I what did you do? What did you do in Malawi? I am uh, an IT professional. Mm -hmm. I used to work for the uh, University of Malawi. Mm. Um, I worked for um, uh, as a chief of ICT in uh, in uh, the medical school in Malawi. But now, 
having lived my life in that manner mm. then you come in this situation whereby you are seeking safety mm. and then instead of getting safety you are kind of being treated like a criminal you are even so afraid that anything can happen to you anytime the the major issue here is mm. nobody kind of cares about you mm. so when people get to a point where they feel that is whatever i do and mm. uh, nobody cares how about you how did you feel have you ever felt so low or or down within the system and what's helped you oh yeah um uh, it got really bad for me because um the frustration i had from the experience in mosne and then being sent to uh, mount trenchard which as i said is nicknamed guantanamo i got to a point that i felt to say uh, having run away from malawi i was looking for safety i was looking to go to a safe place where i can start to live my life all over uh, not being afraid of uh, somebody probably uh, coming for me or uh, my life being in danger but then here i am i'm placed in a place whereby i'm being treated like i'm a criminal and all that kind of stuff uh, it became so bad to the point that I, at one point i felt i really didn't have a life anymore and there was no life what was i fighting for right and if it were not for an organization called Spirasi which is an organization that uh, helps out people that are survivors of torture uh, and probably you wouldn't have known me Adrian because uh, it got really bad and I think those suicidal thoughts were coming to my mind Gosh. but this organization did a wonderful job I've been going for therapy there for over one and a half years mm. and they changed it a lot um, right now when I'm talking to people people always think I'm a positive person yes, but I think it, that turnaround was made by that organization and they did a good job and are they available is that organization available to anyone in direct provision yes they are available and actually they you know when people come in uh, most of the times they are sent to uh, one of the hostels called Basesken as a reception area that's mm. the starting point before you get transferred to some place so spiras would have a reach out officer that normally goes to explain to them to say if you have these problems you can come to so uh, mm. they, they 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 have a team that does that mm. and in fact they have also uh, extended their service to offer even language courses so right. yeah you Brilliant. can go to spiras and do language courses right just right now i was talking to one of uh, my friends who was telling me to say that they have now even introduced somebody has volunteered that they will introduce uh, classes where people would go to learn art lovely yeah, yeah. yeah. and then uh, others would go to learn the guitar Mm. you know just to keep just the mind yes. off things yes yeah to live to live your life basically yes just to to maybe just try to bring back people to start thinking positive again yes yes yeah. definitely it's it's horrendous really but um what do you see can be done and there has been some improvements of late so 
tell me about that, what you've been campaigning for um, along with Lucky with Famasi. Um, what happened was, um, I think in 2014, uh, I think things kind of got much, much worse. And they, uh, a number of people felt they couldn't take it anymore. So they were a little bit of some disturbances that had happened in most of the uh, accommodation centers, mm. some demonstrations and everything else. They rose up yeah. against the machine. Yes. <laughs> so I think now, in reaction to that, mm. that's when the government formed that committee that, that I spoke committee about. That was Dr. headed McMahon. by. Uh, 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 the judge, yes, uh, Brian McMahon. McMahon. Mm. He, he, so what that committee did was it uh, made kind of investigations of all the things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And they came up with a report mm. and then a rec some kind of recommendations. Yes to improve the situations mm. and those uh, i would highlight a few of them because mm. uh, uh, most of the uh, issues that were being raised of course they uh, uh, revolved around the, the treatment mm. the humane treatment of the people mm -hmm. things like food bed mm. actually even the idea of keeping uh, so many people uh, in one room with no privacy no nothing yes. just sitting there um, and then we also have our other people uh, colleagues that are families they have kids so a family would have maybe three kids and then they will be sleeping on one bed the whole family in one room and one bed and probably some of them uh, as is because they would have come with those kids when they are two or three mm. but over the years after five years they have ten eight nine ten mm. and then they have to share a room with those kids mm. uh, so um the recommendations were, were that some of those things uh, the government should take care of them and improve them mm. um i must admit they for the past two years there have been some improvement in mm. that regard and even with regards to uh lucky had said something you had to stay 24 hours in the direct provision in these centers um i believe now that you can actually go out and you're actually going out and you're doing courses how did that come about that you're able to do the courses you're doing yeah um i should say Probably it came out about because of the same point I'm saying. After those recommendations, I think the government, in a way, uh, mm. tended to uh, become a little flexible in some of the areas. Mm. Um, one of the things that has happened now is um, we are supposed to be in that center, of course, all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what the house rules say. Mm. But uh, now you are you have an opportunity that you can come out go take a walk in town there was also uh the problem of not allowing people to access uh, any education and training apart from the kids now they have become a little flexible what they have done is they come up with a, a small fund hmm. to enable people to hmm. say at least you can get out um, um, mix up with people mm. um, because you see people talk about um, sometimes integration mm. where it, it would not necessarily work mm. 
mm. with the many asylum seekers is the reason that if they are kept in that uh, enclosure mm. for a long time it becomes difficult for the people even if when you are, you get the, granted the permission mm. to live here and there is also another report that was, uh, I think, uh, written uh, by a group that deals with refugees from EU, uh, the one that was specifying to say allowing people to work, all right, is a good way of ensuring that people have good living, they, have, uh, they stay in the right frame of mind. There is an organization called the City of Sanctuary. Mm. Uh, that's the one that he started doing all that serious campaigns about this access to third level. Their objectives, mm. they, one of them would be to allow people uh, to feel uh, welcome in a mm. particular area, it's, whether it is an academic institution or it is a community. But this has come about through campaigning and through your work and the likes of Lucky and the City of Sanctuary. So um, it's fantastic. I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately we've definitely run way over time. So I'm going to have to say bye-bye for now and um, maybe we'll revisit this again sometime. Thank you so much for coming in and um, goodbye for now and tune in again next week for more from Respect Respect. Words. Respeto. Spostuimo. Respect Words. Ithiki dimosiografia ya tin adimetopisi tis ritorikis tumisus. Etichno novinarstvo proti sovrajnemu govoru. Il potere delle parole. Respekt vor Worten, Respekt vor Menschen gegen Hassreden. Atisztelethangján szólunk. Riportok, interjúk, tudósítások a gyűlöletbeszéd ellen. Mi becsüljük a másikat. Respekt. La onda local de Andalucía contra los discursos de odio. Más or oco? Erisorok de etikul, ikwene kainte fuha. Ethical journalism against hate speech. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Respect words. Supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.